Good day, friends. This is Reiko Zach. You're listening to Jesus in the Center One Year Bible Podcast. Today is day 24. We're going to jump right in and reflect on Genesis 48 and 49 and on Matthew 15 and 16. That's where we'll focus today. Before we get started, I want to remind myself and you that this story we're reading, this Old Testament story especially, it is about Jesus. That's why we call this podcast Jesus in the Center. Jesus shows up over and over again in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, because it's about him, it's leading up to him and the rescue that he brings for us. And three three ways that I heard it lately that he shows up, you know, letter P helps us here. Thank you, letter P. He shows up in his presence, or we could say in his person. He's personally here. He's coming. We see that many different times today when Jacob is blessing his grandsons. He said, uh, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And so he's reminding himself that there is one who has come. The angel just means messenger, the Malach, Yahweh, angel of the Lord. Jesus shows up sometimes in physical form, pre-incarnate physical form, whatever that, that is like when he wrestled with Isaac or when he showed up with Abraham and and enjoyed a meal and gave a promise. So that's one way he shows up personally. Another way he shows up is with his promises. There are many, many promises. We're going to see a great one today in, in chapter 49. And he also shows up with all the pictures. We're going to see in the next book, when we get finished with Genesis, we see the book of Exodus. And in that, we'll see the literal Exodus, a freeing of God's people from bondage. And so that's just one of many things that we'll see. Today, we're going to jump in and and see here in Genesis 48 that Jacob knows he's about to die. And so he wants to bless his grandsons, the sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh is the older, and he's got them there. And as he's blessing them, he has his right hand on Manasseh and his left hand on Ephraim. That's the way Joseph, his son, set it up. And Jacob crosses his hands and he gives the larger blessing to Ephraim, the younger. And this is recurring, isn't it? Right? This is how it was with Abraham, his sons, and with Isaac and his sons. And now Jacob and his sons, God chooses the weaker. You see that? Check out 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2 for that. God chooses that which is weak in the world. And that's okay. We can be weak. Um, and God God is good with that. He, uh, The kingdom of God belongs to those who are poor in spirit, meek of heart. Right, so uh, in this chapter, we see that Jacob blesses the sons. And look at verse 15 and 16. He says, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life, all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And He's just re- reminding and recalling. He's, he's asking the Lord who has been with him all this time, who has been his own shepherd and his own redeemer, to be a blessing, to put his own blessing on, on the boys. And in the NIV, if you see verse 16, it says, The angel, capital A, that's one of those symbols, right? The angel of the Lord right, has been with him in person. Well, we get to chapter 49, and we won't go through it, but all of the boys are given a blessing. And we've seen this throughout this book, that as the patriarch is about to pass away, they they speak words of almost prophecy. It's like their will and their last will and testament is being given. And what they say will come to pass, however that works in God's, God's planning. I just want to focus on the section with Judah. 
Judah was the fourth born, but yet uh, because of his faith, even though he was a sinful man, he, he was redeemed. He changed. He lived a, a new life. His great sin with Tamar woke him up and he repented and he began to take leadership for his family. Well, here's the blessing. This is what the NIV says. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Wow! What he is prophesying here is amazing. He's saying that one from the line of Judah, a few things, he will be praised. People will bow down to him. He will be a king. From the tribe of Judah, there will be a kingship. The scepter will not depart. The ruler's staff will not depart. And then it says this, until he to whom it belongs shall come. This is, it's a hard, hard verse to translate from Hebrew because you change one pronunciation and it's a little bit different. Is it tribute or is it he to whom it belongs? It's, this, the meaning is clear either way. Uh, one from the tribe of Judah will come uh, to whom tribute is due. The one who will be the, the forever ruler. That's what he's saying. And it says this, we know this because the next section it says, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. That reminds me of this. I'm going to flip over. Romans chapter 1. Getting there, getting there, almost there. Romans 1 says this of Jesus, that he is set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ at Rome. That's a great summary of what has come to pass. There was promised here by Jacob that one from the tribe of Judah would do this. Remember Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, that Jesus, this Lord in heaven that John sees, he's called the lion of the tribe of Judah. And no doubt this is why, because of this prophecy. Well, look at the last couple of verses. They, it's kind of weird. It's hard to understand it. But look, in, I'm going to read this from the ESV. It says this, that as a result of the obedience of the people and this king who comes, it says this, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker or redder than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. You can just read that and gloss over like, what is that talking about? I have no idea. Well, it's hard to, to get an exact. It's more a picture of, of absolute plenty and craziness. There is there's so much bounty that no big deal. We can tie our roughest animals up to our vines because there's so many it doesn't matter. There's just so much abundance. In fact, if we wanted to wash our garments in wine, that's fine. We have so much wine. We can do that. It's all good. And it's just a, a picture of amazing abundance. So take that with you. That's the result of, that's a result of this one who comes from the tribe of Judah to be the ruler. This one, I guess some verses say, 
uh, Shiloh, until Shiloh comes. When he comes, this will be the result. You might see this in Cana, John chapter 2. We see this. Jesus' first miracle that showed his glory. He turned water into wine. And this is a picture of this bounty that he has come to bring for all of us. Thanks be to God. Well, let's flip over to Matthew, the end of 15, the beginning of 16. I love how Jesus heals. He just left the area of Tyre and Sidon. Remember, he just healed the, the daughter of the Canaanite woman who had faith out of nowhere because God gave it to her. She knew that Jesus was the son of David, this promised one that we just read about. Jesus then goes and back to Galilee. He heals many, many, and they glorified the God of Israel. And then he's out in the wilderness or the desert somewhere for three days, and Jesus has compassion on them. And this is, there's another feeding of this great crowd, and it's a lot like the one that we read about in chapter 14, but it's different. There, there were 5,000 people and 12 baskets. Here, there are seven loaves and fish. There'll be seven baskets and those 4,000 people. And it's a different crowd. It's, it follows from this faith of the Canaanite woman, and now it's a, it's a glimpse into the God of Israel coming to the nations. We could get sidetracked about numbers, but if you look at, uh, think about the first feeding, the miraculous feeding, the numbers there are significant, 5,000 and 12 baskets. Those are Jewish numbers, right? 12, 12 tribes of Israel. Five is important because the first five books of the Old Testament are called the Pentateuch the, or the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then here, the second one that we read about, the number 4,000. Scholars think, well, this is important because the promises in the Old Testament that people will come from the four corners of the earth, from north, south, east, and west. And here, the number seven, significant because the number seven is the number of perfection. Also, one other small detail is that the basket that they used to gather in the first feeding, the one with five and twelve, that the basket there is a specifically Jewish basket, and it's a small basket that each dude would have on them, kind of like a fanny pack. It's a manly fanny pack. They each pack in some, some bread. And in the second feeding, it says that there's seven baskets that are gathered. And it sounds, it's the same word in English, basket, basket. But here, the, the seven basket, it's a big basket. And it's, it's a word that's used in the Greek-speaking world. It, it's the same word that's used for the Apostle Paul or Saul at the time when he's lowered down in a basket in the city of Damascus so that he can escape those who try to kill him. So this is a big basket, big enough to put a person in. So it's a Jewish basket versus a Greek basket. So I don't know, we can't read too much into that, but uh, I think it's important to know that these are not the same miracles. This is a miracle that follows on the faith of the Canaanite woman. It's the gospel going out to the whole world. Also here in, in Matthew 15, verse 36, it says, He took the seven loaves and the fish and having given thanks, or eucharistesos, that might sound similar, that's the word eucharist, and that will be important in another meal that we'll read about in Matthew 26, the Lord's Supper, this this last supper, this covenant that he's making with us, that we will enjoy a testament. Uh, It's like his last will and testament. A testament is received upon one's death, and so that's what Jesus is initiating there in Matthew 26, but it's the same word. So we can hearken back to his great provision here to all the nations to bring the blessings of Israel to the whole nations. All right, then we get to 
chapter 16. I love the story where Jesus, well, first he's asked for a sign and, and he says, uh, basically, you guys can't discern the signs. The only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah, which we know there's a lot of ways to think about that. One, uh, in Luke chapter 11, it says, Jesus says that Jonah himself became a sign to Nineveh. Maybe it was his bleached figure having come out, come out of the uh, great fish, the big fish. Maybe someone, people saw him come out of the great fish getting vomited up on the dry land and and the, the message, the word about him spread to Nineveh. So in some sense, Jonah himself is the sign. But Jesus focuses, we saw that in Matthew 12, the sign of Jonah is that he he was in the, the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, or at least parts of three days and three nights. And so will the Son of Man be, right? Jesus will do that. He will go into the heart of the earth, and yet he'll come out. The resurrection of Jesus is this great sign. So many don't hear it. Don't see it. Don't think it's so awesome. But you do. Thanks be to God for that. And then he, I love the story. I, I think of it a lot. Jesus says, he's in the boat, and he says, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, or the leaven. And they're, they're fighting among themselves. Oh, man, we don't have bread. You didn't, who didn't, whose day was it to get bread? They're in the boat with the one who, with just the little bit of bread, multiplied it for thousands and thousands. And yet they're worried that, one of them forgot to get bread. They don't realize who is in the boat with them, the bread of God himself. Anyway, Jesus corrects them and says, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Don't you get it? Don't you yet perceive? Don't you remember the 5,000 or the 4,000? I think it's a good reminder for us to remember the faithfulness of God. Don't we get who is in this boat with us? The bread of God, Jesus himself, is with us. Also, take this to heart. A little leaven leavens the whole loaf. A little bit of yeast of the Pharisees and scribes will completely corrupt us. So what is that yeast? Well, there's a lot of ways to think about that. Perhaps it's relying on ourselves to get right with God. It may be many, many other things. I'll let you ponder that. We're going to stop there for today. Keep growing in faith. How do you do that? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.